Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the Geoholics podcast. Each week at the beginning of this podcast, this segment explores contemporary geospatial news, innovative technologies, geographic-related controversies and hardships, funny stories, history, and so much more. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolofsky. I'm a geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial Sherpa. Today's POB segment focuses on a recently published best practices document on Earth observation application packages from the Open Geospatial Consortium, or OGC. The OGC issued a guide for developers wishing to package and deploy Earth observation data and applications. For those of you who are not familiar with the OGC, they define themselves as an international consortium of more than 500 businesses, government agencies, research organizations, and universities driven to make geospatial information and services FAIR, F-A-I-R, findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. With the massive proliferation of new remote sensing technologies, especially in the realm of Earth observation, the OGC felt it necessary to offer one coherent set of standards. These standards help make the observation Earth data more easily accessible and usable for geospatial professionals. Specifically, the guidelines help with the implementation, packaging, and deployment of cloud applications that leverage Earth observation data. If you are currently using interferometry data, LIDAR data, repeat past satellite data, or any other modern type of satellite or drone acquired data in your applications, understanding the OGC's guidelines is important. Remember, staying on top of industry standards can make or break your operation in a heartbeat. It goes without saying, it's worth your time to read up on what the OGC is doing. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends. What a talent. Oh my gosh. Absolute classic right there. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we lost another music icon this past week. Uh, in any event, here we are back for episode 115. Thanks for listening as always. All I'm going to say is, holy shit, last week's show has absolutely exploded. Not only is Mr. Charles a living legend, apparently, but the man has connections that are far-reaching, uh, and that's an understatement. We can't thank him enough for his time and for introducing us to several new listeners. The amount of downloads in like the first 48 hours was through the roof. It was crazy. It's incredible. He's I, got an amazing network. I'm excited for his book, too. Absolutely, absolutely. On that note, we do need to give a shout-out to, I'm going to butcher this name probably, Powell Hasuk, who is an engineering surveying specialist for HP Surveys in Australia, who is our latest patron and will be receiving a complete Geoholics fan pack for his support of the show. We got the best listeners, I got to tell you. We do. We, we do. really do. Absolutely. But we also got a lot to get to tonight. So let's get on with this. Connor, tell us about that opening number. Yeah, it's uh, by Meatloaf, uh, Paradise by the Dashboard Light, Marvin Lee Aday. Or Addy. I think it's a day. I think it's a day. Known, as, known professionally as Meatloaf, was an American singer and actor. He was noted for his powerful, wide-ranging voice in theatrical live shows. 
He is on the list of best-selling music artists. His Bat Out of Hell trilogy has sold more than 65 million albums worldwide. The first album stayed on the charts for over nine years, still sells an estimated 200,000 copies annually, and is on the list of best-selling albums. He ranks 96th on VH1's 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. Meatloaf appeared in over 550 films, including his role as Eddie in the Rocky horror picture show and the bob Paulsna, paulson pa- pa- paulson good night connor <laughs> <laughs> botch that one in fight club uh meatloaf died in uh january 20th of 2022 from complications of covid19 unfortunate loss there unfortunate loss for sure have you seen rocky horror picture show i have not O- only part of it. Only part of it? Are you serious? Oh, yeah. oh my god! <laughs> I've seen Fight Club though. Oh, fight, two great movies there. Yeah, I mean Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's the one you go to the theater to see it, and I mean it's like a cult movie basically. And everybody like something happens on the screen, and everybody throws you know toast, and something else happens, and people throw this, and it's just like this chaotic uh, mo- scene in the movie theater. It's pretty funny. But uh, with that, let's give uh, Diamondback Landsurvang Studio a plug. If you remember from last week's show, I mentioned that Mr. Trent Keenan previously sponsored a NASCAR and received a very limited number of diecasts of said car. Of course, it had the Diamondback Landsurvang you know logo all over it. Super cool. Um, and these these diecast cards are absolutely amazing. So he's agreed to give one of these diecasts away to a lucky Geoholics listener. Okay, so here is what you need to do if you want your name in the hat for one of the Diamondback Land Surveying NASCAR diecasts. Okay, email the answer to the following question to info at the geoholics.com. Okay, here we go. What is the maximum grade of the banking of current NASCAR tracks? And if you want to name the track or tracks for a special Geoholics bonus giveaway, you can do that as well. So again, what is the maximum grade of the banking of a current NASCAR track? Uh, and email your answer to info at the geoholics.com before next show, and we will pull a lucky winner who's going to win one of TK's diecasts. Hmm. What do you yeah. think of that? If I had to take a guess, what would it be? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, I mean, I know what it is just because I Googled it before. Oh. So I knew the answer to the question. Do you, what do you, what's your guess? I would guess Bristol probably. Well, what's the, what's the grade or the banking? The grade oh, of the I have banking, no idea. Think? I have no idea. But Bristol's your guess on the track. Bristol, Bristol's my guess just because of the, the short track. Yeah, you would think. You would but think. That, that's that the only sense. reason. I, I have no idea though. I think that's pretty <laughs> much how a layman would think. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah. All right. With that, shout out to this week's featured friend of the program, Cyanic Automation, Get Job Book. Connor, you're up, buddy. Yeah. Do you think it should be easier to collect timesheets, daily work records, and invoice your customers? I think so. Yes. Um, is is it difficult to look up past jobs in certain area so you can reuse control points, legal plans, and other information? Absolutely. Are you sick of using software that does not quite store all your customer and job information you need? For sure. That, that one. No for doubt. Sure. Um, if, if the answer is yes to any of the or most likely all these questions, you need to check out Cyanic Automation's job book. Thank you. Created by the workflow experts at Cyanic Automation's job book in the modern cloud-based solutions built for surveyors that work in the field. You can get better idea by going to their website, 
getjobbook.com. That's www.getjobbook.com. <laughs> yes, and Geoholic listeners receive 20% off of their first year subscription. So do you just tell them that you're a Geoholic listener? Like, you how do? does that go about? Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I heard about you on the Geoholics. Perfect. And next thing you know, you get 20% off and uh, Bob's your uncle. Oh, wow. And they're, they're Canadian, so they'll appreciate the Bob's your uncle uh, reference. Good guys up there at uh, Cyanic Automation. Yeah, Canada's great. I mean, Tim Hortons. Huge Canada fan. I love Canada. I, I may have asked you this. Have you watched uh, Letterkenny? Yes, I have. Did you like it? I liked it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've, I've, I've watched the first season, and then I got into uh, Ted Lasso recently. Oh, so. that's fan. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't know that it's Ted Lasso's fantastic. I've heard that it's amazing. I don't have, what is it, Apple TV or yeah. something like that. I, I got it. We, myself and the lovely Megan, we got to subscribe to that. There's a lot of good shows on there, I right hear. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, one more bill to pay here. Trimble Geospatial, spatial, spatial sound like Connor, <laughs> weekly words of wisdom. Here we go. This is a great quote. Classic, absolute classic. Okay, be like water making its way through cracks. Do not be assertive, but adjust to the object and you shall find a way round or through it. If nothing within you stays rigid, outward things will disclose themselves. Empty your mind, be formless shapeless like water. If you put water in a cup, it becomes the cup. If you put water in a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot and it becomes a teapot. See where we're going with this? Yeah. Now, water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. The great Bruce Lee. I was wondering who who was uh who Bruce said that. Bruce Lee, yeah. Bruce Lee has some amazing quotes. Yeah. Super inspirational. I mean, awesome perspective on all things life and I don't know. If you ever get a chance to like read the Bruce Lee autobiography, pretty amazing story. That was deep. That was really deep. Yeah, it's pretty deep. Maybe it was too many sentences, maybe. Did I lose you? No, you didn't lose me. <laughs> I, I know. Like, yeah, too, too, reading's hard for me, but listening's easy, and, yes. uh, and numbers are easy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Li- reading, tough. See, it's just the opposite. I can read, but I don't listen. Oh. <laughs> so we're a good pair. Is that what your wife says, too? <laughs> yes, she does. Indeed. Selective at, at best, no doubt. Um, got anything new, Connor? I mean, it's just the two of us tonight. I forget. I failed to mention that Big Shoots is doing Big Shoots things and is unable to join us, so it's just you and I. Yeah, nothing too new. You know what? It's funny. I went to um, I went bowling for the first time in like five, six years nice. uh, over the weekend with a couple of friends, and like just interesting time. I, I haven't been bowling in forever. but uh, I haven't either. That's about, that's about all I did. Um, you know, caught up on some work over the weekend and those mm-hmm. type of things, but uh, not too much. Just just still uh, watch some football. I'm kind of sad that, you know, the games are going to be over next week. But what about you? What are you up yeah, to? Yeah, you know, uh, where'd you go bowling, by the way? Ooh, it's off of Violinda and like the 101. It's not Mavericks. It's. Uh, Is it kind of like that, though? I mean, I think the last time I went to a bowling alley, I think it was Mavericks, actually. And it's just like, it's almost like a carnival or something in there. Yeah, Crazy. it was. It was actually. It was a. It was Bolero. I think. Bolero. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a cool place. Yeah. yeah. So it was. It was. It was cool. It was yeah. like really dead. Never saw. I've never seen it before. But I live right there. Mm. I live off of like uh, the 101 in Via de Ventura. So yeah. Um, was surprised when I googled. How um, so was bowling part of the culture in Buffalo? Like in Chicago, bowling was part of the culture. Bowling's big in Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't know necessarily Buffalo in a sense. Uh, I know that. Like my, my dad played hockey a lot and football and those type of things. Yeah. But uh, I know Pennsylvania is huge. My, the old controller at my old company, um, he, his family owns like a bowling company based out of California, actually. And then, um, and then they had a bowling company up in Pennsylvania. Nice. And so, yeah. 
Nice. So what do people like? What do overweight drunk guys do in Buffalo for fun? Uh, drink more. Drink more. Drink, drink more. Play billiards at the at the bar. I think billiards. I mean, big billiards town. Yeah, I, I, nice. I, I haven't spent too much time since I turned twenty one up there, but I think that's yeah. a lot of a lot of the time is going out drinking and like having it. a good time. Hey, my kind of place. I got to get there and visit sometime. Have you ever listened to Steve Harvey? By the way. Yeah, of course. He's an inspirational quote guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got to check him out. I'll tell you what. Why don't you suggest a Steve uh-huh. Harvey quote for next week, and you can even read it. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Stupid is, stupid does. <laughs> you walked into that one. Yeah, I did. As for me, not a whole lot new. Um, gosh, of course, you know, watched some more amazing football this past Sunday. It was great. Um, I had Cincinnati and San Francisco. So Same. Uh, hopefully Cincinnati wins it. Yeah. How about you? You agree? Yeah. I, I mean, I hope they win it, but I, I, I don't know how that offensive line is going to hold up against Aaron Donald and yeah. Von Miller. Yeah. He's kind of like a, what do they say? Like a one man wrecking machine or something like that. Yeah. They got a good defense. The Rams for sure. I, I, I just hope it's a great game. Yeah. Uh, what did I see? I saw Cincinnati plus four is the last line I saw. Oh, plus four. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think I jump on that. I, yeah, I would jump on that too. Yeah. Oh, are you going to take the over or the under on that game? Over is pretty high. I think it was like 54 and a half or something like that. Oh, heck no. I got I got burned by the over last yeah. game. I took uh, Cincinnati uh, money line with the over and yeah. then Burrow over like two, whatever his over on this passing yards yeah. were. And, and he, hit the, he hit the yards. Yeah, he hit the yards. He, it was just the, the over. I, I lost almost the exact same bet and then the over killed me. Yeah. Just by a few points, so like four points. Yeah, I heard, I I heard a bet uh, from Sean actually. He took the Kittle touchdown, mm-hmm. the uh, the Debo touchdown, and the Cooper Cup touchdown for like plus one thousand. Wow! Hit it, and I'm like, golly! Wow, like I, I don't know, I don't awesome. know why I didn't see that. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. All right, let's get on with this. Let's uh, let's rope our our guests this evening into this conversation. You may remember this voice from episode eighty nine, I think. I'll have to check my math on that. But uh, we have Mr. Dennis McKay with us, and just a little bit about Dennis to refresh your memories in case you didn't listen to that episode. He spent his childhood in uh, McMinnville, Oregon. In, earned a BS from Oregon Institute of Technology. Go. Oh, I don't even know. The, Come up with something. Wildcats. Owls. Oh. Enjoy spending time outdoors with his wife, hiking, mountain biking, and kayaking. They travel four to five months out of the year to beautiful summertime places. And if you remember, we had him on previously. I believe you were in Colorado. Mm-hmm. You were trying to do this from like your Jeep on your phone. And we had all kinds of audio issues and stuff like that. So we uh, we had a conversation afterwards, and and Dennis and I are like, we got to get you back sometime. And he's actually in studio with us this evening, so we're really excited to have him. A couple other things here before we get on with it. Retired in 2012 from the Bureau of Land Management. I don't want to say BLM because things can get a little misleading there. It's confusing sometimes. Yep, yep. After uh, over 30 years of federal service where he was the lead land surveyor in Arizona for 26 years and New Mexico. What? Is that right? No. Where were you? I was in. I was there, but I wasn't the lead lancer. But I was, I was more in charge of the GCDB project, which we're going to talk a lot about. Yeah. Okay. So I may have misled you with the lead land surveyor a little bit, but he could have been the lead land surveyor and New Mexico for another five years. Not a big sports fan. This is a great story, so I'm going to tell it again. Do you remember telling me about this? And yeah, it says I, he's not a big sports fan because. He, he was probably scarred for life after being tricked into watching Muhammad Ali take the beating of his life in the rumble in the jungle. That was pure violence in that fight. Yeah. Yeah, for but sure. But then he just jumped out. Oh, it's crazy, after, right? Just, 
and just took out the guy. Really. Absolutely it was crazy. Just yeah. Amazing. I, I, I never missed an Ollie fight after that. Oh, really? I really realized yeah. he is the greatest. How special he really is. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, Dennis, thank you so much for being here. Welcome back. It was episode 89. I just checked. Um, but we're, we're so glad you were able to. You took the drive over from California. We really appreciate that. Having you in studio. Great to meet you. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Mm. Yeah. So we do like an icebreaker question, right? So our question okay. this evening is, what was your very first job and how much did it pay? Oh, my first job was, wow, working in a supermarket. Okay. And I don't think I must have made much more than um, minimum wage. Which was what? Do you remember I'm what probably it was? around 70 cents an hour. I'm kind of, <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> long awesome. in the tooth here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you, Connor? What was your uh, first paying gig? My first paying gig was Chick-fil-A. And oh, I got paid, I think, I want to say six eighty-five, seven dollars, whatever minimum wage was at the time. But oh. uh, it was Chick Fil A my pleasure? You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I do. I can totally see you working at Chick Fil A. I, I think it's the greatest company to start off with, with customer service base. But no that's question, just me. no question. What do I tell the lovely Megan that you work at Chick Fil A? She's going to like you even more. Yeah. Because every time she goes to Chick Fil A, she always comes home and says, "Nicest people at Chick Fil A." That's why we go there, you know. Plus, I love Chick Fil A. Who does awesome. It? Yeah, yeah. My first job was my first paying job. Uh, I was a lifeguard at an apartment complex pool, and I paid like six fifty an hour or something like that, which was good money back then. By the way, I was living high on the hog with that. Oh, it, it allowed me to put a a hundred dollar paint job on my uh, my seventy four charger and buy Kreger wheels and uh, some fancy stereo. I was that was a shit. Oh, were you? Yeah, yeah. Sunkiss yeah. too, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Put bleach in your hair. You know, everyone likes a bleach blonde uh, California surfer dude wannabe, right? When, when did Baywatch come out? <laughs> Maybe that was the inspiration. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get on with this. So I want to talk about a couple acronyms that we're going to mention tonight so that people, as they listen to this conversation, are going to understand it. So the first one is GCDB, okay? And that stands for, that's actually BLM's Geographic Coordinate database. Yes. Correct. The next one I want to mention is CAD NSDI. I yes. have a feeling that's going to come up. That is FGDC, which is what? Federal Geographic Data Committee. Okay. So it's the FGDC's cadastral theme of the National Spatial Data Infrastructure. And the last one I'm going to mention is the NRC, which stands for the National Research Council. And, uh, the one thing I want to jump right into, we got a lot to talk about tonight. So right. let's let's kind of define some things first and foremost. So let's talk about what a cadaster is. And this is right in your wheelhouse. So I'm excited to hear what your definition of a cadaster is. And then we're going to talk about the multi-purpose cadaster. So how do you define a cadaster? Yeah, a, a cadaster is an old English word, and it comes from just a... Uh, uh, Ownership and rights that people have in land. Okay. It was used as taxation, and uh, it's just followed its path to modern times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just means the rights and responsibilities that people have in land and really includes you know, where that land is, how big it is, how much it's worth. Yeah. And, uh, and it's something that I keep looking at. It's, it's, it's almost the invisible stuff. You know, and mm-hmm. that comes uh, comes to play when you get to mapping. How do you map this stuff? It's 
not like something you can get off of aerial photography so well. So anyway, uh, but we'll get back to that sometime. But that's what the cadaster is. And, and it's really interesting the way you define that. <clears throat> we had a gentleman on Rex Perry. I don't remember what episode, but his, his niche is, is he is trying to go to like undeveloped countries and establish cadasters. Mm. To do just what you're talking about, to you know, be able to track individuals, basically taxation. You know, there's a lot of different um, advantages to for countries to have a cadaster. It's economic. Economic. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. You, you don't have a cadaster, you don't have an economy. You don't have an economy. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'm going to introduce you to him, by the way, because I think you and, and he could have some really good conversations. Um, so, talk about the multi-purpose cadaster then. What's, what are the, define it, I guess, if you can, and then maybe talk about who it would benefit. Yeah, well, you know, back in the day, all the cadastros were done on paper. And when they started getting, putting those things into computers to where you could see that on a screen, it turned out that there were uh, uh, a lot of them. And they were redundant, and they didn't fit together. And you could, well, I, I'll just, Maricopa County, where mm-hmm. we're sitting, had, I remember the county had four of them, mm. and they didn't even hardly know each other existed. Uh, and I think some of the cities probably had their own. And then the BLM came in to build one of just the whole public land survey system. So the problem that we were faced with back then was how do you, you know, streamline this thing and make it more useful. Mm. And that is where a group of uh, I guess it's like a think tank in the National Research Council. They got a bunch of people together from uh, academia, uh, government, private sector. How long ago was this? Nineteen, Just before 1980. Okay. Uh, the chief cadastral surveyor for BLM was uh, in that group, and they came up with the idea of a multipurpose cadaster because they just recognized that it was just chaotic the way things were going and it was just going to be more chaotic and more chaotic before as people piled on. So they just said, here's what you do. You basically build one cadaster, a national nationwide cadaster Mm -hmm. that all the parcel corners, you know, like would be known from coast to coast, all edge matched and that you would make that available to people Mm -hmm. um, through computer networks, which is just coming into play. And, so that you just all focus on building one, and then everybody has access to that one. And that was the original idea. Uh, there were things that they talked about, like you need to build standards, that, and that the technical problem isn't going to be you know, that big to overcome. Mm-hmm. It's more uh, institutional and social or administrative, what have you. So but was it proposed to work um, I mean, well, just for like PLSS states or was it for meets and bounds states as well? It was supposed to be for everybody. everybody. And they decided that the, the BLM, at some point along the line, they, uh, BLM got tapped with building it, uh, the designing the mm. whole system itself. Okay. And the BLM c- had all these records of the government surveys, uh, the GLO and all that. And so they were given the task of taking those records and putting them into a digital format, alphanumeric digital format, and using those to come up with the coordinates of all the public land things. It couldn't do much with the eastern states, you know, the colonial mm-hmm. states and stuff. Yep. But it would at least 
collect what the federal government needed and show what you know how to how to how to how to do this mm-hmm. and that we were going to turn that over to the counties and then they would end up just densifying the geometry of that using that same system and just adding their own geometry. So what you're talking about would be like the the foundation of what the counties would use. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's the start of a GIS then at that point, right? Right. And yeah. that was that's what that was. And so that's that was the idea is that the 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 BLM would the design the system and they would populate what they needed, you know, at the federal level. And then that's what was basically happening. I mean, that's what the GCDB became. The Geographic Coordinate Database is really a, a database of all the measurements that were done. Uh, not all of them, but maybe, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it the latest uh, measurements of record were put into that system. And then, of course, any kind of georeferencing points you had, whether they came from topo maps or GPS or anywhere in between, got added to that uh, database also to mm-hmm. help geo-reference all that, and then we used adjustments to um, come up with the best uh, coordinates that we that that were possible with the data. Yeah. yeah. So did it get traction then? It did. Uh, the GCDB really did take off, and it became uh, available. It's not available in a very easy form right now, but you can get it from the BLM. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you'd need software to see it, and so there's problems with that. That They did actually extract a little bit of that to make parcels. Um, and I kind of have to back up to say that the BLM did actually uh, shepherd in the standard setting that would um, serve this multipurpose cadaster. Mm-hmm. And it really became part of the FGDC. We were talking about the Federal Geographic Data Committee, and they, they had come up with this idea that there's really certain themes that should be public and everybody should concentrate on building that one thing. And those themes would be like uh, roads, rivers, mm. um, uh, topography, cadastral, you know, and certain other things like yeah. administrative boundaries. But there were, there were seven themes and cadastral was one of them. And the cadastral uh, standards and the cadastral movement toward coming up with uh, – uh, an actual product, I guess, mm-hmm. was overseen by BLM. And they came up with the standard that would be your parcel polygons, I guess you could say them, mm-hmm. and also the parcel points, and then all the data that would go behind that. You know, like, well, of course, once you get those polygons, then you can say, okay, uh, wh- you know, who owns this? How much acreage is it? Uh, does the government have the rights to... Uh, build ditches and canals over that land uh, or do they have subsurface and it just keeps going on and on yeah. you know any kind of things that you could say about that parcel right could be attached to that yeah. Um, yeah that thing yeah so it was like an early form i mean gis has been around for a long time but in a sense i mean that's what we're talking about right 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 so yeah. that you would Thank you. the idea would be that you would be able to go into a gis and actually see that it would um, be like part one of the layers or whatever right right yeah um so what's like you know, you, you talk about GCDB. What's the difference between GCDB and the National Spatial Data Infrastructure? Is it all, was it one of the same or are they two different things? They're you know, like two different things. You know, okay. the National Spatial Data Infrastructure is really uh, just the idea that you would have a lot of data that you would share openly and freely all the time. It's just okay. like you just, it's, it's like an infrastructure. It's mm-hmm. there for everyone to use. 
And the GCB is really the data. I mean, it was the start of the data. The BLM did come up with that. But there were, like, you say it got some traction. It seemed to get some traction for a while, the GCB did. Mm -hmm. Uh, It got to a point where the BLM kind of lost its focus on building this multipurpose cadaster. Mm -hmm. And at some point, they got so focused on this polygon thing that they developed the you know, the cadastral theme of the uh, NSDI, that that is what they concentrated on maintaining. Um, but I don't think it's really that easy to maintain. In fact, I know it isn't because you got surveyors out there all the time yeah. building data, and how does that get reflected in the shapes of these um, right. polygons? And so there's a, some problems to try to get that implemented that I've been working on. Interesting. For a yeah, long time. Keeping it updated and maintained would be just a massive undertaking. You'd almost have to like, and, I, and I'd like, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I mean, you'd almost have to like, each state would have to be responsible for keeping their individual database updated. Or maybe even it goes counties. much further than that. Yeah, it drills down to counties. Like here in Maricopa County, like we have an amazing like GIS, whether it be, you know, the, the Maricopa County Highway Department, you know, their GIS is awesome. Um, the assessor's, you know, website here is unbelievable. I say it all the time, like here in Arizona, especially Mar- Maricopa County, we're so spoiled, it's ridiculous. Oh, our Maricopa County assessor's map is incredible. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, you, you I mean, it's, I agree. Yeah. I, I was really excited about uh, what that was, but a lot of that stuff isn't going into the GCDB to it's, create that thing. Right, That's the, right. The yeah. thing, I mean, there was the, It's almost like an independent GCDB. Right. So that kind of violates the whole vision of what the multi-purpose cadaster was. So you have all these competing cadasters. I like that. Competing cadasters. Yes. The the people back in around, you know, 1980 were like, uh, you know, like they they knew it was not going to work. And so we're still at that spot. And so that's Mm -hmm. why I spent a lot of my energy trying to solve that problem. I mean, I was part of a work group that was doing that, but as people peeled off because of, you know, retirement or right. they got mad at, ma- you know, like <coughs> management or, you know, all these kind sure. of things yeah. that happen. It happens. Exactly. <laughs> that, you know, it seems like I was the only person standing. And so <laughs> I, <laughs> I kept at it and so, I, and I really worked on that problem of maintaining it. And I think we'll get to that later is I just don't think that surveyors should have to spend any extra time maintaining it. I think it should be just done in the background as part of the process. Mm-hmm. That's how software would work. But then you need a lot of things in place. Sure. And what are what are your thoughts then on like the OnX app? Have you seen that app at all? Uh, no. Oh, it's a it's an it app OnX. Have you seen this on? Oh, so. oh yeah, yeah. It's a it's an incredible like app. O N O N X. And so you can do like oh. off roading. Uh, there's like the hunting stuff. So like for me. I'll look at it and I'll I'll go okay. Here's where BLM land is. Here it's a basically an assessor's map, mm-hmm. but it's across the country. It's put it's layered on from all the assessor maps, and so I can see who the ownership rights and what the land, what the parcels are and the boundaries are for that. But that's about it. And then, but I, I you know I have to pay a I forget it's like fifty bucks a month for or fifty bucks a year for Arizona or like I can pay like two hundred and fifty for an annual pass for everybody. Yep. Um but yeah, no no. So like I go on and I can see like, okay, here's BLM land, here's where I want to go scout and all these things. But um it's kind of compiling those mm-hmm. data points together. Yeah, and it's uh, running obviously off your phone GPS, so it's like a real time thing, right? So when you're out there hunting, yeah, 
you can just kind of look at this app and it shows you like you're whatever, 300 yards from being on BLM property or whatever. Yeah. And then, and then you can like also download it. So for me, like if I'm going backwoods, I can download the map. I can have my GPS on my phone. Mm-hmm. So I don't need cell service technically. Oh, right. I'm, so I'm yeah. like looking yeah. at it and like it's following me, but I can't do anything else except be on that map. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So I'll have to show you later about yeah. it. But yeah. 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 I have a mapping app that I pay a subscription for and it has a private, uh, or, or guys, they call it private land. But of course, if it's government land, that shows up too. Mm-hmm. But it might just say, you know, USA or something and without telling you whether it's Forest Service or BLM or what have you. So th- there's uh, it really probably depends on how the county maintains that stuff because I noticed that they just cobble together, you know, what's they just get from the county and they just stick it on their map. Yeah. And there's areas that I get to where there is really no, mm. no information because the county doesn't have it, that kind of thing. Yes. And so I, the, that, that kind of leads me to my next question. So, like, your vision for this GCDB, how far would that go? Would that just really be for uh to delineate blm lands like would you have like all the glo corners in there like that obviously kind of be the basis for the database and then after that it would be building another layer of just blm properties or would you propose to even take it one step further and add private properties as well well the blm doesn't have the authority to add private properties and track that stuff Mm -hmm. so like what you were referring to earlier, where the, all the different counties that have to add their own—that's exactly how it would happen. Mm. That uh, okay. that it's been it was proposed. Um, I think probably I think we're, we're back to 2007 with the uh, National Research Council, their latest booklet. I, I believe that's where it was mentioned. Is that they were saying, well, everybody should be publishing their own data. Like the county would be publishing private land, the Forest Service be forest land, the BLM, mm-hmm. you know. BIA and what have you. Yep. Uh, it, but but it would be what they call virtually centralized. So you'd go to a website and it would be reaching into all these different sites where because they would know where to go to get that data. Yeah. But it would be all edge matched and to a user it looks just like you got one. It's just one um, one one version. Sure. You don't have to shop for it. You just. I mean, yep. you could maybe there's different websites that point to the same data, but there's really just one, you know, version of that country. I guess you could right. say yep. as participating in that system. Yeah, and I'm assuming if it continued to get traction and was able to get built, it would would it, would it be information that's free to everybody, or how how would that work? Uh. It would be free. I mean, so I, be I, the couldn't, open I couldn't tell data. you how much yeah. I. Th- I believe that it would not work on a paying system. I mean, the BLM tried to get into that. They had this cost recovery kind of Mm. buzzword. And it just got to be where we just thought, well, you know, why don't we just make a bunch of DVDs of this data? And if somebody wants it, we just, you know, pay pay for the DVD, you know. I I mean, just Mm. pay for the actual blank DVD. You get the data free. Oh, gotcha. So, you know, it's like pay five bucks and you get the whole GCDB for Arizona because mm-hmm. we called it cost avoidance. And I think at some point the cost recovery people kind of have to go back in the background because it, it, it really, it, it's almost going to be more hassle to collect the money. Yeah. And the m- important part is to get that data out there and have it free. I mean, that was mm-hmm. part of the idea of the spatial data infrastructure right. is that it's free and it's available all the time. Yep. 
And so that is a big part of that vision. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting. Question. Are there any like um, national security risks or anything like that with making that data readily available? I, I would say no. No. You know, I mean, if the databases, which is how this stuff would be mm -hmm. um, published, is just open your database to the internet. Uh, it, that that kind of technology is pretty pretty advanced, especially the security. Yeah. And if you don't believe that, go go into your bank account and add add a million bucks to your balance. <laughs> <laughs> see how see how that works. Get right. back with me. Yeah. Because it just you know they they you just can't do it. You right. don't have the ability to change those numbers, and it's the same thing with sure. surveying data. You just you can get Good it, point, but you yeah. can't go in like there's you know. If you're really not on the computer that actually does that updating, you, yeah. you're out of luck. Yeah, Connor's going to figure out how to add a million bucks to our uh, bank account, though. I've been trying to figure that out. I've been trying to do. It's that only been a week, dude. Come on. I know. I we'll, know. We'll give you a little bit of time on that one. Um, let's talk about the accuracy of it. I mean, is this, this database is it is plus or minus a few meters? I mean, what, what, what's what's the vision as far as that goes? Well. When I'm out looking for corners, this one area I'm looking for, and I, I have these coordinates that we've developed, uh, and they have, like, air ellipses. And so I, I get, the like, two numbers, like mm -hmm. the X and Y number that where that ellipse would intersect. But it could be, you know, 500 feet by 600 feet. Uh, and when I'm out there in the desert looking mm -hmm. around, I, and everything looks like a mound of stone, it's like a terrain that's made out of, mound of mounds of stone it um it's hard to you know it's hard to even find it but it's it's important to know that back in those days when they were setting stone monuments and things that um and being in an area that they probably thought nobody would ever be in you know they it's really it's hard to it's it's not that exact yeah. and when you traverse into those spots you know using bearings and distances mm. you just come up with all kinds of different answers and sure. so that's where the uh, uncertainty but if you get into some kind of urban area where people are doing gps and it was really everybody's really concerned about that stuff well that's just a different accuracy i, I don't mm. want to use the word accuracy mm -hmm. i guess it kind of is but i i say it's how about trustability I like you, that. You can trust them, mm -hmm. or maybe it has a small amount of untrustability or yep. something. So uh, part of what we learned or during our decades of doing this is that the uncertainty values is just, it's huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a huge part of not only how, you know, surveyors bring information to the table, but it's really important information for users be, to know that when they see a coordinate, it's not... It's like our official prediction of where that coordinate yeah, is going right. to be. But, yeah. I mean, it's just... You, know, you can't base your survey off it. You can't do it, no. Yeah. I mean, if you... I guess if it was set up with GPS and that was your evidence that you presented on your plat, you know, maybe that's a different, different thing. But uh, for what we're calculating from all this data that does, doesn't fit together, yeah, it's... Um, yep. Well, and, you know, we talked about it before the show. I mean... You know, think about, you know, whatever, 1920 and how they were measuring then, you know, literally mm -hmm. pulling chains and compass and, you know, traversing through the hills and valleys compared to how we measure now. It's just comparing apples to oranges. You know, right. you, you just can't really meld the two. Right. It's a challenge. 
And I do have to give a shout out to some of those people back then. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Going across the canyon. I mean, you're, we're just shooting from rim to rim, and yep. then you just end up thinking, they only missed it by this little bit. It's incredible. I know how they do that. Yeah. I, I can't, I, it I needs to be talked about more how incredible those surveyors yeah. were. It really does. Right. Yeah. It's and then others, not so much. Yeah. But, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then others come along with better measuring uh, ability and not so much. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I and mean, I know one of your passions and one of the things you love about surveying, and myself as well, is just the ability to, you know, take the original notes and retrace them back and, you know, find a stone that you and maybe five other people have ever been to before. Mm -hmm. That's pretty, pretty incredible feeling when that happens. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is incredible. And I, I think about how, um, of course, this could come up later, but I, I also think about the, the mistakes I made back mm. in the field that I would have never made yeah. uh, if I had a real proper system to work out of. Sure. I mean, I've looked at, I mean, mm -hmm. I know what these things are, and I'm not going to belabor them right, <laughs> here right, publicly, right. but yeah. really, I, I just don't think, I just don't see how those mistakes could have been made if I had all the information in front of me. Mm at the time to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, like, what are you doing here? Yeah, exactly. What's uh, the coolest thing you've done on a survey job then? Like, what's the coolest thing? The coolest thing has to be solving a boundary problem that's affected people for a long time. Uh, it's finding the original monument that you know is, you know, is the thing. I mean, it's just like, you know, depending, it doesn't matter how many other monuments that are out there, when you yeah. find the original monument, then you have solved a problem. And that is, yeah. I get to, <laughs> I get to take that with me all the time. I mean, I, I'll never forget how good that feels. Yeah. And also the people who actually are the landowners who finally, you know, get some kind of resolution on mm -hmm. that stuff. They can appreciate that a lot too. So yep. yeah. it's a human thing. I'm going to take this opportunity to tell my favorite survey story since Connor asked. He, he didn't ask me, but he asked me indirectly, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> so when I first started serving, I, I was working in southern, southern Illinois, very rural, very hilly, and you know, just, just a mess for the most part. Great hunting, though. Great hunting, great fishing. That's where White I cut my there. teeth and all that stuff. It was amazing, yeah. So anyways, I, I worked for an older gentleman who had been surveying for probably – 30 plus years at the time. And uh, our biggest contract was with the uh, USDA Forest Service. So we would just do all these retracement surveys, you know, all over Southern Illinois. And I'll never forget this one time. I'll keep it short. I'm, it might bring a tear to my eye, but I'll keep it short. Um, you know, we were looking at the original GLO notes to try to find this one corner monument or this one section, GLO corner, I should say. Uh, and it was supposed to be a stone. We're looking at the, the, the notes and it says, you know, yeah, of course, there was three or four bearing trees around the monument, and none of those bearing trees existed any longer in this area. But, you know, he, he and I are out there, you know, trying to find this stone. We know we're in the right area, but you can see, like, almost like indentations in the, in the ground where those bearing trees were type thing, like they had fallen or whatever. So we started pulling a chain from, like, these three different, bear, these three different you know, bearing tree locations, pulling chain, pulling chain, and he's like, dig there, and this is no freaking joke. There's nothing there. There's nothing. I'm, I'm like, I start digging, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, K -k -k, I'm hitting something. I'm like, what the hell is this? We start digging it up. I'm like, sure as shit. Here's this original stone that was set like early 1900s. It was unbelievable. Just pulling it off those GLO notes. And I mean, I still get chills when I think about it right now. Cause it's like, again, me and maybe three other people have seen this stone, you know, it's incredible. incredible. Huh. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're going to make Connor a surveyor before this is over with. I know this is what this is all about. 
Yeah. That's the reason for the, the evening. Yeah. <laughs> Me counter serving. So, 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 we'll, so, we'll sign off on your registration as you leave tonight. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean. And you, gonna, you can get uh, continuing education credits as well if you need. Oh, perfect. Yeah. You have to take that up with my boss though. From uh, from a BLM standpoint, I do have a question. So like I, I've come across a couple times where there's a, there's private property that basically makes this a landlocked BLM land and there's no access to it. Like, what are your thoughts on like the public access and those type of things with BLM? My, uh, I'm not going to give any legal stuff. My opinion, of course, well, I know that people when they have are landlocked can drive through BLM land to that thing. You know, it's, it's another thing when you have to drive through private land to get to BLM land. That's what, yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah. it's like if you're driving through, like, like you've got a, a BLM piece of land and then it's, all the way 360 degrees around that piece of land there's private property like how do you get to that land without you know infringing on people's rights or you know private property yeah <laughs> you get an not, easement connor you not, get an easement i'm just curious i'm just yeah, curious because well, i'm a public landowner here you know yeah, well that's that's a good question no, it isn't, because I don't know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean, I don't mean, <laughs> I came across this recently. Yeah. I was trying to get into a piece of land, and I'm like, I, like, the guy's got his gate locked, and I'm like, I can't get, I got to get through this individual's property to get to, get to, to the, the piece, public land. To get to the public land, yeah. and like, what's funny, I got a couple friends that have shirts that say, I'm a public landowner. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I've always wanted to talk to somebody about at the BLM. I'm like, hey. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Well, so, I can tell you if you go to a BLM office, mm. uh, it, man, well, there's one in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. They're amazingly friendly. I was just going to say, anytime I've been to the office, really they are so helpful. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes I need help from them for things that are outside of my domain. And it was, of course, I worked there, so I knew them personally, but mm-hmm. it's just, there's a certain amount of professionalism, and I've yep. been lucky to be in a lot of different BLM offices because of some of the work I did. And I just, I really love that part of the organization, you know, the field, uh, you know, just out in those field offices yeah. and stuff, because they do really care about this thing about public land and what it all means. For and sure. Boy, that's, yep. for, I, yeah, I, I have strong feelings about public land. I just love it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There. And I did. I, I just came up with a solution for you, Connor. Mm-hmm. Just tell them you're a surveyor. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Right? If you're a surveyor, from what a lot of people tell me, you can go anywhere you want if you're a surveyor. Some landowners don't believe that. <laughs> just carry so a tripod. Stories, just but. have a tripod, carry a tripod around and say, I'm a surveyor. I'm here to survey the neighbor's property. And then, boom, you're in. That's awesome. That's a good idea. No, yeah. that, it's crazy. You know what? I, I will say I haven't I haven't dealt with anybody in the BLM yet, but I'm gonna have to stop by and like pick their brains because I, I find sure. it I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Forest Service and the uh, the Fish and Game people too are always the nicest people. Like yeah. like when you when you come across so nice. a game warden, like people are so concerned. And like I'm a big rule follower when it comes to that type of stuff, so I I never am like stressed out or scared. But like yeah. I I find them incredibly intelligent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the, the people that work for those type of services. So I'm going to have to stop by. That's a good, yeah. that's a good point, Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> Something just came to mind. So back in like early 80s, when you were first discussing these ideas and things like that, Google Earth did not exist, right? The idea that anybody would own their own computers did not exist mm. back in 1980. Yep. I mean, why would anybody need a computer? Right. Now you have them in your pocket. Yeah. So 
Yeah. So how would where that, are we going from there? How would that change your approach to this idea? Having you know access not only to computers in your pockets, but something like Google Earth, which I use every single day. Yeah. Well, imagine if you had a parcel layer on Google Earth. Mm-hmm. What, what what would it be like if you're driving your Jeep along? Uh, you know, say it's uh, like what I've just been doing in the last few days. You know, there's state park land, and then there's BLM land, but it's yeah. all checkerboard. So by sections. Mm-hmm. So. You'll be driving along and all of a sudden, you know, the rules change without any kind of yeah. warning. Now, if you had something like um, Google Earth or something on your screen, or like if you had, say, augmented reality or something, if we could get into that later, you could, you could see yourself going through these different things and having knowing that the rules are changing. I mean, the yeah. rules could be changing like you can't drive you know, up this dry wash, you know. Yep. Or, you know, it's and then all of a sudden, or you can't pick up rocks, and then you're in BLM land, and, you know, maybe you can. And so there's just all these different rules that change as you pass through these invisible boundaries. Mm -hmm. And if you had a multipurpose cadaster, then you would be able to have those boundaries, you know, available to you as you're standing there and, like it might be on your laptop, on your NAS screen, or it could be, um, you know, with Google Glass. No, I don't want to say Google Glasses. Uh, uh, augmented reality glasses, yep. where yep. you you just be notified. I mean, the the rules could show up on your your screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it could if that's what you wanted to see, and so. Whatever the question was, I think I no, no, no. I, I like I like a thought process on that. I'm thinking through myself. Yeah. I'm I'm like going through. I'm like, hey, what what do I do? I drive through. You know, I'm I'm looking for BLM land. I'm yeah. coming across different types of private property, different types of government property, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't know what I'm on right now. So I'm trying to look at my phone to make sure that I'm mm-hmm. on the correct land or looking at my map and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, it would be nice if it just popped up on a screen in my truck. Where I could see, like, because you, you're now seeing these, like, virtual dashboards up above. And so it'd be nice to see, like, oh, you're entering yeah. BLM land. You're entering this land. Like, like the heads-up display type thing you're saying? Yeah, like the yeah. heads-up display instead of, you know, having a compass that says north, south, east, and west. Like, it says BLM, private property. Like, yeah. those type of things. Like, right. Like, I like Dennis. <laughs> There's so much you could do with this. There's no doubt about it. Or, like, the what is it, the Oculus? Maybe everybody's driving around or walking around while they're hunting with the Oculus you know, the virtual reality glasses on or whatever. You could, you, you could trip and fall, but I... You I, could I, trip and fall, yes. Could you imagine if an elk pops plant. out and it's like, what in the <laughs> hell is this dude doing? <laughs> well, you know, you know, I see all this stuff where people are complaining about, you know, people sitting around looking at their phones. You wait till those headsets, Oculus, yeah. and virtual reality glasses come up. You yeah. know, you think, oh, that's weird seeing someone with it. No, yeah, yeah. not not in five or ten years. No, no. You're, I, you're I, not going to be able to get people away from those things. No, I totally agree. I think it's going to replace the phone. Prime glasses and stuff yeah. like that, too, mm-hmm. even. Yeah. For sure. Yep. The phone's on the way out. I, th- I think laptops are on their way out. Seriously? Yeah, I think it's going to go to tablet base. I mean, you see the two-in-one stuff. I mean, desktops oh, yeah, yeah, are gone. Yeah. Totally see that. Desktops are gone. Microsoft Surface is being implemented more and more. I mean, it's just uh, it's heading sure. to- kind of towards that way. So... Back to the topic at hand here, the GCDB. GCDB. Um, we talked briefly earlier about the maintenance of that, like how that, what that would look like, because it'd be such a massive undertaking, whether it be at the county level, the state level, or you know the national level. What? How, 
what are your thoughts on that? What do you what do you what do you see? Well, the GCDB is a real complex data set. You know, much more than the you know, polygons and points that you see on mm-hmm. the standardized uh, cadastral theme that the public uses. Uh, but to maintain that thing is, I think it's the difficulty to maintain that thing is what's kept the uh, adoption of the the standard mm-hmm. uh, way of doing that, the cadastral theme from happening. And so I have been maintaining that there should be a database of survey measurements and that as you do surveying, then it just adds to that. You know, you do some precise surveying, that gets added to the database. And so when you do these uh, geometric analyses, you, you can stick all that data in there. You just wait it. You just tell the truth about about mm-hmm. the weighting, and you're going to come up with good, good data, and so you're going to get good predictions of where those those monuments are, and you're going to have an idea of how good they are. That's the thing. You mm-hmm. can say, "Hey, this is, you know, plus or minus half a centimeter or something right. like that." But trying to communicate that is a big thing too, and I'll you know get into that because I think the uh, AR and VR is finally going to help people see mm. how uncertain these things are. So if yeah. I'm out there walking around in kind of remote desert where I do, like you, those boundary lines could just be just floating around anywhere if I have my right. AR glasses on. Yeah. But you go into a town and it's just going to be so tight you're not even going to see it. I mean, there's going to be more uncertainty in the hardware itself yep. uh, but the, the thing is that the system that uh was proposed uh and that i've been following which is a multi-purpose cadaster uh would be able to take any kind of data i mean it's the resolution of the data or the trustability of the data is all based on um or i should say of the coordinates are all based on the underlying measurement data and how good that is. So the more measurement data you get in, that's good. The the better the you know the closer those coordinates are going to be to what it is mm-hmm. physical reality. So, so would it be the surveyor's responsibility to upload their survey to this cloud-based database? In in my way of looking at it, you really the surveyor would have a copy of the database mm-hmm. uh, of the job area that they're in. I Got mean, it. it could be, you know, however finite that job is Mm -hmm. whether it's you know several miles big or you know just a few blocks or something like that that would just be in their laptop so as they make measurements then it gets added to that Hmm. like if you like if you were say near a what would you call it like a block wall Mm -hmm. uh, you you know where these property lines come together and you maybe take a gps measurement off of it and it the system might think, I know where you're at, kind of, but I don't know if you're on the monument. Right. So the only question you have to answer is, you know, are you, is this the monument or isn't it, right? Or am I just playing yeah. <laughs> with GPS? Right. You know, so once, once you basically can identify where that monument is, mm-hmm. then you can readjust the whole network. And as that job progresses through its uh, re- legal reviews and all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, then at, at some point that database would be um, ready to just give to the county. Gotcha. And what I'm talking about is a geodatabase file that just has, you know, a bunch of databases in it that are relevant to what mm-hmm. you're doing. And it could be base maps and things that just help you. Yep. But the, 
the gist of it is, is that as you're doing measurements and as you're sort of building your plat, that you really are populating the database. It's offline. You're just building an offline copy of what that database would look like once it got done. But yep. you hand that to, say, a reviewer, and then that reviewer has the same software to just, you know, really, t it doesn't even have to be the same, but it's the same data. So they can mm -hmm. take a look at what you did, just the essence of what you did, without having to type in all this stuff or mess with point IDs or all that stuff, but just all be able to query that data and understand it and realize, okay, that was, you know, oh, this mistake was made here and send it back or, you know, this is good and send it up to the mm -hmm. final signing. And so you can, uh, with that data, measurement data in a database, it could actually just peel off a plat, uh, you know, just, mm -hmm. the, you know, the basis of the plat. And then that would just go, you know, be signed. But my vision of it is that a paper plat, I, I like the idea of paper plats. I mean, you know, a signed copy of a paper plat, that's the legal thing. Mm -hmm. So you file that. But that's not the most useful form of surveying data. The useful form is in a geodatabase, in database form, where it's all related, all these different points, lines, polygons, mm -hmm. who did what, all that stuff is related. So that would be what really you would have a, a copy of what that um, in that area of your job of what the uh, the pu public you know spatial data infrastructure would be, mm -hmm. but because all those things are tagged with you know where they came from, they can go back into the database. They know where to go back in. You know, any new data, it would obviously oh, this is a new line, a new mm -hmm. point, and it just gets added to the bottom. But you know that would be the geometry that would be used to update the CAD and SDI without really, I would say, any actual effort. effort. But, but, of course, the main thing, and I would get into that easier more, is that it would make it so streamlined to do surveying because there's a lot of busy work that you have to do to run software and to mm -hmm. make all kinds of decision things and you know, typing in things and yep. not, <clears throat> not having access to the data that you need, that uh, this system would really help streamline that whole thing to make it easier to do than, than not. And that's where the adoption of mm -hmm. this whole yeah, thing um, would, would be, uh, the CAD NSDI would be possible. Let me yeah. think out loud here just a little bit. Okay. And most of our listeners will tell you I'm a freaking idiot. But this comes <laughs> to mind when I'm thinking about this. Like a lot of people obviously use like, you know, they subscribe to these VRS you know, subscriptions. So they're, you know, yeah. you don't set up a base. You just walk out of the truck, turn it on, you know, you get on the network and you're surveying, you know, real time, um, you know, state plane coordinates basically. Right? right. So what if like, and this might just be another route to get to where you're ultimately wanting to go. But if you subscribe to one of those networks, you automatically, your data, any, any shot you take on using the network gets uploaded to a cloud-based database. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And think about think about what you could build off of something like that. Yeah. What I what I see is that when you're out there in the field, there's a lot of, I, I don't want to call it goofing around, but there's a lot of exploration, mm -hmm. uh, evaluation of evidence. You might True. take a reading on something that, you know, is just a pipe in the ground that right. is not a mine. You know, and, and, and yeah, so yeah. there's a lot that... You have to go through to analyze and really get a sense of sure. what really are you accepting. Right. And it could be that um, 
that you're happy with it and you send it up to, you know, a more advanced like mentor or reviewer or whatever mm -hmm. that just looks at that and just yeah. said, no, 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 no. You know, that's just, yeah. you, you missed the, you missed something. Yeah. Kid. And so, you know, like you, you, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it's just in this editing environment, there's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. You know, having a cloud is nice backup in case, you know, mm -hmm. like something, you know, blows up, you know, sure. like a laptop, yeah. which I know about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. But you um, you would at least be able to, you know, like what I'm saying is that it really never really goes anywhere, you know, and t except inside of an organization. And then once it gets signed off on, then, then that gets sent to a county surveyor or, you know, in the case of the BLM, it would be the chief, mm -hmm. you know, of that office or something that would sign it and yep. enter it into the federal register and all the things you do. But that stuff could be just done so automatically, mm -hmm. you know, like if a county surveyor gets that, they have a certain duty to take a look at it and think, okay, you know, did that be right? right. But at least if it's in that form, you can just get right down to the essence of what decisions are being made. Yeah. What kind of evidence did they have? You know, how does it relate to the previous surveys? And all those things can be answered just right there in the data because you do you know like if you've collected all that vintage data you yeah. can see how harmonious your survey is with yeah with all the previous surveys that have gone on in the past which is not a small thing yeah. in my estimation think about yeah. what it would do for like uh court cases and stuff like that when surveyors get drugged into court if they have if there was something like this that existed well there's a i huge part of being able to express what the the legal parameters are you know the what you're really talking about and what evidence you do and if it's in a digital form you can start combining a lot of different records from different sources and different times and maybe even create animations and or anything that really can help present your your ideas or what you know what what the concept is sure. i mean what the what is the legal right. remedy here and how you've done what you need to do. So having it in digital form is, is so much better than having a, a pile of papers. Let's right. put it that way. And uh, yeah. Uh, I, so what would this do to <laughs> the, the, you know, the issue that we as surveyors seem to get caught up in for whatever reason, it drives me insane, but the whole pin cushion thing, you know what I'm saying? Where you have a property corner and there's like four pins set within a half a foot of each other. I, yeah. And I've seen more. The thing is, it, I've designed this standard that, for measurement data that allows for several monuments to purport to be the same, mm. to, to be mm -hmm. that function, like whether it's a center quarter or a, you know, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. And you actually can have the, the idea of there's a corner, whether it's a section corner or, you know, like whatever that thing is. You can have several monuments to that. I mean, there's just one concept that there is that corner, but also you can have a lot of monuments that are, are trying to be that thing. Now, if you only have one monument that's trying to be that, which is the case just about everywhere, you know, that's just fine. But if you have uh, several of them, then everybody can see that in the database. You could probably make a symbol that says, you know, anywhere there where there's more than one monument here, make a symbol i come up with a symbol or mm -hmm. make your own i don't know but anyway it, it it's something you can find and then it could be just you need a panel of surveyors to go out there and march around that 
pincushion thing and see what you can resolve. And when you do do that, then it it allows you could you could actually have a write a document, and the document could be um, attached to the monument you set that or that you accepted or something like that. So yeah. I guess we're getting into another idea of georeferencing uh, documentation and evidence, but the The thing I would want to get away from is making those in the first place. And that means making as much evidence available as possible to whoever is out there doing it. And so when I talk about a multi-purpose cadaster where you have like all these boundary lines and stuff, you know, you'd actually have another database that's just survey lines, which isn't the same thing because you've got ties to different things and all that stuff. So the thing that... I would say is that as much as you can put all those vintage measurements in there, then you can start looking at it and saying, wait a minute, you know, you know, what, why, who set one of these monuments or, you know, like what was the reason for doing that? Maybe I don't need to set my own or, you know, like all those kind of decisions kind of come up yeah. for, for a person. And um, I, I just think that if they, if you had just the, like I say, the access to all those plots, like I, I, I would say that every measurement that's that you see a measurement line, you should be able to touch that line with whatever, however you're looking at it on a screen, right? And the you could just ask for the plat, mm -hmm. and it would just show up. Yep. And so you could just walk through these different plats in a way that kind of kind of makes sense to you. You know, yep. if it's arranged in a way that you're just seeing what really matters you can just analyze these things and sure. maybe make big aha you know wow i i get what happened here you know that this person went off at that point or you know it's like you get a, you can really piece these things together but yeah. if you're just sitting there looking at a pile of plats it's really hard especially if they're not in the same units and you know that you've got these different uh date dates of you know what do you trust and everything but if it's in a geodatabase like what we've worked with, where they've been gone through all this analysis and everything, where you really can trust the weighting of it, and it's easy, it's, it's easy to start seeing things that you've never seen before. You know, I was like working like 30 years with this stuff, and I mm. just, you start to see things in data that you could just never seen. Yeah. Like I look at it, um, if I can continue, uh, if you're talking about a multi purpose cadaster, like right now, if it were, fully formed like the CAD NSDI of just the parcels and polygons. It would be a seamless coast-to-coast um, uh, -coast depiction uh, of all the parcels. But there's another aspect of that that maybe other people aren't concerned about, but surveyors would be, where it would be all the surveyed lines. So you might have like 12 measurements on a particular line. And the thing is that you can actually see those survey lines as one coherent, like think of it as just one plat of everything that's been surveyed. So when you're zooming into it, then you can start to see, okay, this line has several measurements to it. I mean, it'd be a line, but it would, you could turn on the things and say, oh, there's, you know, been several measurements. Well, how do they fit together? When were they made? And, and that. So you're really only dealing with one plat. And as you're looking at it, you're looking at it in one unit, maybe. Right. Um, and it's really coherent. But, and, and 
if if you were to bring up plots, if they were georeferenced, then you could start like paging through those things without having to turn things around in your mind or what have you. You know, it would be just bang, bang, bang. You can kind of just see almost like an animation of how things would have changed throughout time. And you could see how things developed. I mean, you could almost, because you know the, the time that these surveys were done, you could actually call for an animation of here's the original survey, here's someone else came in, and, and you could just see how these different surveys pile onto that, which might really help to decipher exactly who did what, when, and why, and that is what you need to do because otherwise you just end up just, oh, you know, let me be the sixth monument here. You know, yeah. here's my opinion. And so you can almost do like a virtual retracement. Right. Is what you're proposing, right? right? Something like that. No, I, I love the idea. It's obviously a massive undertaking to get to that point. But one of the things you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, we've talked about animation just a little bit. Yeah. You know, the VR, the AR component. I really would like to kind of go down that path a little bit because that is something that is coming to the forefront, you know, quicker than we even know. And I'd like to talk about, you know, what your opinion is, how you see AR and VR benefiting surveyors. Right. Well, I'd have to say that, you know, I, I think we were getting to know what the, the difference between AR and VR, and now there's going to be devices that can do both. Yeah. And I think the ones that are going to do both really are like, it's kind of like an Oculus device, a headset that has cameras yeah. so that you can turn on what your eyes would see if it weren't there, right? So that becomes like an augmented reality thing. So you're just adding to what's actually, what's around you, what you're what you're standing in. But virtual reality is, well, it's like uh, augmented reality is like the real world is your base map. It's a 3D base map and you're just adding information to it. But a virtual reality is, is like you, it's like the same thing, but you don't have to be standing there. It could be a base map of anywhere. And then of course it's going to allow you to have different universe, you know, like create different universes for games and things like that. And uh, the only reason I mention it is that's going to drive the adoption of VR. So uh, I just looked it up. Augmented reality versus virtual reality. Okay. By definition. <coughs> and it says, so augmented reality or AR, of course, augments your surroundings by adding digital elements to a live view, often by using the camera on a smartphone. Okay. Virtual reality or VR, of course, is a completely immersive experience that replaces a real life environment with a simulated one. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. Immersive, we're going to get tired of that word. It's going to be a buzzword that is really descriptive and it's going to be overused. Yeah. And like unprecedented right now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like unprecedented. This is yeah. the most unprecedented thing ever that happened. Right, yeah. yeah, everything's unprecedented at this point. Yeah. Yeah, well, everybody's going to have, you know, immersive lemonade and everything. So, um, but it is, it's going to capture people's brains and they're going to, they're going to, people are going to like it. And, you know, you can watch movies in there. You can you play games. I think you could have like people performing surgery mm -hmm. you know, remotely for sure i mean yep. it is just i mean you could have like a 3d x-ray of your body and have it standing mm -hmm. right in front of you and you can just peel away different things to actually you know mm -hmm. like get down to your spine or you yep. know like check well that kind of goes <laughs> check down the, check the structural integrity and stuff yeah a couple of the buzzwords now are like uh, digital twin right mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's kind of what we're talking about here right and so 
when it really gets to applied to surveying, and I really think there's differences between what you're going to do with uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. And in the field, I think augmented reality, you know, corner searching, for instance. Mm-hmm. You, you'll be looking around on the ground and looking for any kind of thing, and it can keep track of what you're looking at. Yep. And you can see a map of what you looked at, mm-hmm. what you focused on, right? And so if you can see, oh, wait a minute, I didn't look over here. Oh, you don't have that now. And so that's one of the things. And you can also have things like the uncertainty of where a coordinate is. So if I'm looking for a monument and I don't know where, the, where it is within 300 feet, that's good to know. You know, can I have a three-dimensional uh, bell curve right there to help me or different ways of visualizing it so that I can really have a sense of where I can expect that corner to be? Um, and in virtual reality, I, I think that what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to take uh, pictures of the land that you just surveyed, and then you're going to be able to you know, send it to your client mm-hmm. who would then take a look at that land. You know, they may not be on, nobody's on the land right now, but you can look at it and see, here's how uncertain the data was before. Now you can see that, after this great survey and you know, all this stuff, you know, it, it's been tied down and everything's good, you know. Yeah. And so you're going to be able to sell a lot of things, you know, the value of surveying and everything to uh, clients and mm-hmm. to potential clients. And <clears throat> I think it's going to be hugely used. I mean, people are thinking, ah, oh, it's just too, you know. Yeah. Who knew? And I don't know, you know, but but you're competing against people that are going to be doing it. So we're kind of there right now. Yeah, we're kind of there right now. And it's just like, you know, I think, again, I think that these headsets, these virtual reality headsets are going to replace cell phones here at some point, maybe not 100 percent, but in 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 a big way. And think about like the deliverable that can be, you know, presented to your client. If you can have them walk around their property with the VR headset on right. and see exactly where their property lines are, you know, Just like if they don't have fences up, of course, or whatever, but you can see where your property lines are and take it one step further. I know it's being used already for subsurface utility engineering. You know, you can walk around, you can see where your you know underground utilities are. You can see where your boundary is, how everything's related. I, there's just so much, I think, from a survey perspective that is going to be very beneficial for this technology. Well, yeah. it's interesting because I think that drones are going to be a big play too. And I mean, I mean, they have yeah. already, they're mm-hmm. already starting them. Drones but. and scanners and all this technology is going to come together somehow. And uh, we're going to be living in a virtual world. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it'll be interesting because I mm-hmm. think that you'll be able to, you know, send a file to your client, like mm-hmm. you said, and they'll have a pair of Oculus glasses and they can sure. walk through it. And Why like, not? Okay. Here's like our, our lot lines and those type of things. Um, I think it's already happening like with, you know, architects and stuff like that. I mean, they're definitely taking full advantage of the technology. It's just, how is it going to be best or most benefit? I think, you know, the survey profession, but there's, there's a space for it in my opinion, for sure. Cause think about, think about like Zillow right now. Like you go on Zillow and they, they walk, especially like the Zillow owned homes. You can walk through a 3d map on your phone. Now I'm not a big fan of it, but like you could literally now throw on glasses and, probably walk through it in, in a year yeah. or two. Um, yeah, for sure. What, so like what other technology do you see coming up through like the survey industry? You know, we've talked about VR and AR and drones now a little bit, but like, do you see any other technology or like things that can help? Uh, or expand more on drones? I'm just curious. Well, yeah, I was thinking of expanding on drones because I think that you could have a drone. Uh, I'm thinking of how you can find maybe brass caps or 
stone mounds with the drone where you're doing uh, analysis of, uh, what would you call it, just if, having the computers see, see a mound. You know, I, this is not difficult for computers these days. So you could just make several passes, you know, back and forth and back and forth to look at land. And I thought for a long time that if you had some aerial photography, there is a thing called multispectral photography, mm -hmm. and you can identify vegetation. Yep. I saw some of this stuff in the late 70s, of Crazy. all things. Yeah. Amazing what they could do back then. Yep. But I think if you had some bearing trees, they, they could actually, okay, it's been, you know, 45 years since these bearing trees were taken, so they should be about this height. And oh, no, no. You could calculate what the crowns of the trees would look like and the height of them, you know, at this stage mm -hmm. and fly through there. And if those trees are still there, you could say, okay, here's, here's some possibilities. You could just find all the possible trees. And then with the bearings and distances to the corner, you could start identifying, especially if there's two trees to go off of, you could just say, Hey, wait a minute. Here's where I'm going to look for that, that corner. If I were looking for it, at least I am pretty, pretty sure that I got a, that I got a bearing tree yeah. to, to work off of. So, um, anyway, that, that is, where I see drones coming in of finding evidence and using computer technology to identify the real obvious stuff. I mean, there's some stuff that you're not going to be able to, and I, to do, which is a lot of the evaluation of evidence when things just really go wrong and you mm -hmm. have to really, um, uh, really suffer. Um, I, I say suffer because some of the hardest work I have ever done is to go to where, where a monument is yeah. and it's not there. Sure. And uh, in the situation where I was in, you had to find it. You could not have a situation where you didn't find it and somebody else did. Right. So that was really hard work. I'd have to say that's the hardest. But as it is, now that I'm retired, I can go out on an <laughs> Easter egg hunt for monuments. And if it isn't there, I just like, ah, oh, well, yeah. okay. You know, I, it's a good, get a good hike. I'm having get a good, a good hike, day. Right, yeah. And, but uh, I wanted to get back to this thing about uh, technology. I don't follow, I guess, the toys of 3D scanning um, and even drones. Uh, GPS kind of speaks for itself. I, I just, I really am concentrating on getting a standard for, for surveying measurements. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to put a, Bearing in a distance into a database, there is no standard. I mean, when I talked about the FGDC, uh, I was involved in that committee, you know, for a while, and they had a com uh, kind of a start startup type idea of what the cadastral, you know, the data content was going to be. But at some point, the downstream users thought, oh, this is too, too complicated. And the surveyors are saying, this isn't complicated enough. So they came up with... <laughs> Two standards, you know, one of them was going to be for the downstream users, you know, the polygons and points and yeah. whatever you, information you can add to that down, you know, down through the line. But the other one was for surveyors to maintain the actual geometry. And that was never developed. It was just, they thought, well, I let's let people do what they want. And I, and I was at that, when that first was proposed, I was so excited because that's what I was involved in with designing yeah. that data. I was working with it and I was like using what I was learning from these data design committees to design what it would be to capture all that data. And, you know, so I was kind of shocked and I thought, well, 
this isn't going anywhere. This is doomed to fail you. You can't have that polygon thing when you got all these surveyors out there running a <laughs> running a muck, if you will. Yeah. You know, well, what they're not running a muck, but what happens with the data they're collecting? Right. Where does it go? Yep. And it could be just going straight into a, you know, like focused on getting that those geometries uh, updated. Yep. So, yeah, I worked on it for decades that you know like well maybe not decades but yeah, yeah. you you were ahead of your time y- yeah in I a think lot of ways. so i think so and then i look at some of the early writings which just say well you first you got to do standards well <laughs> yeah you do yeah. and that's basically i think yeah that's that's all i'm doing is i'm doing the standards yeah. and so anyway i i can give myself credit for some of the ways i put this stuff together i i I get to do that for myself. I'm not going to go on about it. <laughs> but it, um, I believe that, you know, what I came up with was a standard. It is really a viable standard for making a national standard for cadastral survey. In fact, it is the standard that they came up with. They, they came up with the idea of a, you know, a surveyor's kind of standard. But they, you know, it's like I finally came up with the design, yeah. which when you try to do a design like that, you really have to, you know, ask yourself, what is it you're really doing? So there's a lot of real basic things to think through, but that is what I have proposed as a standard. And, um, I wrote an article about it in land and, in, uh, <laughs> surveying and land information science that to propose it as a national standard sure. and, you know, a couple of, a magazine article and this and that to kind of highlight what it is. Yeah. Uh, but here I am, you know, talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, so if anybody listening can figure out a way to bring all this information together, which is I know what you're what you're wanting to do ultimately, um, man, I don't know. I don't, this it, is it, a big thinker. That's all I'm going to say. He, like I, I just he's out there. I, no, it's a good thing though. Yeah, it's a, he's yeah. a he's a big thinker. I'm like I'm like yeah. how did the, yeah. Yeah. yeah, imagine him in the private private industry all of his life instead of the BLM. Like, man, so yeah, I should have been rich and famous, huh? Yeah, Jeff Bezos. I hey, think I think, you, hey, I think you're as smart as Jeff Bezos at this point. Did he ever think he'd be on the geoholics? Do you think? Oh, I know. It's an honor. It's quite the honor. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this: um, We've touched on a lot of different things. Uh, we'll probably actually have you back on again for a third time because there's so many different rabbit holes we can go down oh, yeah. with this stuff. But I mean, just kind of in a nutshell, I mean, what what do you see happening next? I mean, where where do surveyors go from here? Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that there needs to be enough surveyors to promote the idea of having a standard and simplifying their work. Mm-hmm. And but but in a way, you really need support from you know sort of a higher level of government. You can't just take say the city of right. Chicago right. or Des Moines or something. Say, oh, okay, here's a national standard. You, yep. it, you really need to have a government agency identified and. And that last time uh, the National Research Council touched on this idea, it was a booklet mm. written in 2007. Their first recommendation is get a panel together to decide who was going to be in charge. You know, who's going to be the national parcel coordinator? Yeah. And who's going to be, and there's like a hierarchy, you know, you'd have like a, a national, uh, not national, but a federal parcel coordinator that would coordinate all the federal agencies mm-hmm. but then you'd have about 50 state coordinators and yep. you'd have um native land mm-hmm. 
coordinator, yep. you know, like that. So it'd probably be, you know, something like the BIA and all the tribes under that. But, you know, the state coordinator would be overseeing all these different counties. And we, what, we have 2,000 counties. And so somehow like you've got to get that together to create, a, a, you know, like people putting all these 2,000 county data and the state lands and the federal agencies. There's probably about 12 of them that could really, uh, yeah. B that what you're what we're talking about it's uh, I, it's not that easy to do without some kind of you know adult in charge. <laughs> well, just think too is like uh, just take two states for example. You could look at Louisiana versus Arizona. Yeah, I, I think and just know like un, just understanding like the you know it's parishes and French law and all these things. Like I feel like that'd be oh man pretty pretty complicated i mean yeah it would be very complicated so yeah. i think i think he's right like you got to have uh a, a, a lot of a lot of individuals involved in this mm-hmm. right so that that is what they had proposed uh, so many years ago when the national research council i should say when they were really masterminding what this multi-purpose cadaster would be they came up with the idea okay you're gonna have someone in charge nationally and then you've got like this Second level mm-hmm. and third level and everything. Now, if we lived in a country that was, you know, had a dictator or something like, you know, like a nationalized serving, you know, and kind of cadastral function like France or something, that'd be easy. You know, you just have, you know, the king would say, okay, here's your national, you know, here's the standard and here's the national coordinator. Everybody works for me and everybody do it that way. But yeah. It's going to take a bit of something to get all these sure. people herded into, you know, like get all these noses pointed in mm-hmm. the same direction. And um, so that's that's the thing to work with. Uh, I know in 2007, yeah, they said, let's get a panel together, decide who's in charge. And that has never been done. I mean, that was 2007. Wow. What were you doing in 2007? What was I doing? Anyway, wow. It's a long time. And, you know, and I think, th- I think the National Research Council just got tired of you know, yelling into the void. Mm. Uh, and I, I can't say that the BLM was even listening to them that much, you know, from, yeah. we just never really talked much about it. You know, after we got that need for a multi-purpose cadaster, it was mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, and then we just ran off. And then at some point, everybody kind of fizzled off and, you know, you get a bunch of money coming in and you want to use it to what would put it monuments take? in the ground. Right? Yeah. What would it take to kind of like rekindle that conversation? I... I don't know. I'm the last person to ask. I just don't know who would do that. I mean, I've kind of been reaching out uh, to uh, the BLM, the FGDC, the the National Surveying Professional I was just going to ask you, that's the reason I brought it up. Do you see any any value in the National Society of Professional Surveyors, NSPS? Were they ever involved in any of these conversations? They weren't traditionally mm-hmm. um i've reached out i haven't really given them much time to respond before this this call sure but i th- i think that is who's going to do this mm-hmm. and i don't know how enthusiastic the survey community is going to be i mean i i wrote an early version of this proposal for a national standard and uh, proposed it to uh, one of these uh magazine you know like yeah kind of i don't want to call it a consumer magazine but uh, you know, just basic popular surveying magazine. Sure. And they yeah. just, oh, our, our, our readers don't want to hear about it. Mm. You know, I heard they see GIS and they don't, like, I, I don't want it. Yeah. I but think that's probably changed, though. Maybe you should try again. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I got that 
article published in the California mm-hmm. uh, Professional Survey. CLSA. Yeah, yeah, CLSA, and mm-hmm. then it got reprinted over in New York. But And, that, and I, I got a lot of uh, interest there. I mean, you know, they... They were real good about it. I mean, it was yeah. it was a real positive experience, and I, I think I might be writing another article. Yeah, and I actually started writing a book too because I'm thinking I better get this stuff down. Uh, you know, the whole part of it because I, I I don't know how, you know, how long I'm going to be able to just yeah. <laughs> keep this up because it's just like sometimes I think we haven't really gained that much over the years. Uh, yeah, but it could be that. Attitudes are changing. I, I mean, think so. I had a lot of resistance. I mean, we did in GCDB. I mean, it was like people were just, you know, it's like this isn't real serving. We don't want to hear about it, yeah. you know, and they just never quit beating their chest on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, again, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm convinced that you're a little bit ahead of your time when these conversations were happening. Um, and obviously, the, you know, the average age of a licensed surveyor is still like 60 years old right now, but there's a lot of good young surveyors kind of coming up through the ranks at this point that if hopefully, you know, they'll hear this podcast and maybe it'll spur, you know, some interest and then some questions and things like that. But I think that, you know, maybe, maybe revisiting this, you know, I mean, the survey profession really kind of needs to get out in front of this, in my opinion, you know, and, you know, maybe just bringing this conversation up again is going to do something good. Yeah. Well, I, I would love to be, uh, in touch with someone who's grappled with these same things and mm-hmm. tried to, you know, trying to get something going. Cause I do know that I, I sometimes will give a presentation at some meeting or something and someone will come up and say, Oh my gosh, this is wonderful. And all that. Yeah. And then, you know, like that's yeah. the end of it, you yeah. know, right. but I, I would love to meet people who understand what I'm talking about, basically yeah. about using analysis to do this, uh, using, um, uh, geography to index your, records um in fact gis is really good at that i mean if you had uh, a plat i, I don't want to get too far off on this but uh the you know paper plats are good in that you don't need batteries uh and a signed copy is official and then their advantages kind of drop off after that they de- they degrade over time the floods fires theft yeah. you know all that stuff is a you know it's a problem and then you end up having just trying to get them from one place to another and paying for copies and all that. But digital, I mean, once you get that information, it's like if you could take just pictures of it, that helps a lot in terms of distributing it and preserving it. But if you were able to georeference those plats, then it actually is a lot more useful because then you can start comparing these plats on their own sort of terms. I mean, you just pull them to, to be able to analyze the difference between them. It's a lot easier if they're georeferenced. And, of course, they're easier to find, too. But if you actually get the alphanumeric digital data extracted from there, the bearings and the distances, and, you know, you, you, there's other things you could do to maybe pull what monumentation is off of the map. I don't uh, deal with that too much with my standard. But um, then you have the ability to make... Um, map symbols out of them. And one of the things that you can do with a document is to say, this plat deals with you know, these points or these lines or both, right? Or however it works. And then you really have an accurate version of where that plat is. Because it could be a linear uh, survey that goes like, you know, 
a long way, and you don't want to just take the maximum X and maximum Y and say that's where this is. You, you, you could just be very exact saying, here's the lines that this plat belongs to. So if you're zoomed in on some little area and stuff, you know, you either don't get that plat or you do, depending on what it right. is. So, yeah. so that's how you could really get information really easy off of the Internet while you're researching a job. You just zoom into the job you have and say, give me all the plats. Yep. And then, boom, you've got all those things, and then you can work mm-hmm. with it later. So that's the thing that would really streamline a lot of this uh, work is to be able to um, pull these things out. I mean, if you had an AR device, you could actually project a plat onto the, the ground at true yeah, scale. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's totally doable. Yeah. It really is. I mean, there's so many things, and there is a thing – uh, called data visualization. There are data visualization professionals and there are data visual professional society or whatever. That This is a huge thing with some technical people. They love to be able to explain data visually. And I think this AR and VR is just, they're going to take off mm-hmm. with how they can express things. Yeah. I mean, right now they, you know, they're in corporations and stuff. It's almost like you got an HR department, you got a data <laughs> visualization department, and all that. Huh. It's a huge yeah. thing, and so the technology is there to do. And all, all surveyors have to do is, you know, wave a bunch of money in front of them and say, "Hey, yeah. you know, why don't you just build something to do this?" I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's a way to put on a alternate or augmented reality glasses and see boundary lines. Yeah, somebody may have already done. It. I just don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. have my ear to the ground in that way. But, uh, you know, you just give somebody the idea of doing that. And they, oh, yeah, the data's right there. It's just a map. I can just pull that off the county and stick it in these AR glasses, and everybody's going to be happy yeah. until they realize yeah. that data. the boundaries that are there that they're seeing aren't in the right place. Sure. Data yeah. analytics is the way. I'm telling you. No yeah. question. I've got, no I've got question. so many friends, especially one of my, be- one of my good friends is, uh, is getting his master's in data analytics. And so I think that nice. data is just going to be a... Oh. Huge thing. You're gonna have a. Big it's kind of. It's kind of like a IT department. Like IT mm-hmm. departments weren't really big, and now every company's got a cybersecurity department, a, mm. a, an IT infrastructure department, those type of things. Like you're building yep. those out yeah. to then data visualization and those things to take. You know, the concept that Dennis is talking about mm-hmm. has been applied to different types of things. It's just now how do you come up with, and it's easier said than done. Don't get me wrong, but like how do you take those fundamentals like he was talking about having mm. a standard and applying it to an industry yep and right. so surveys just yeah you're trying to apply a standard and then right. then taking then yeah analytics i totally agree and i think one of the things is i mean things technology everything is moving so fast right now faster than ever before and i think that again our our profession is an aging profession but as the average age of a surveyor comes down more things like this are going to be possible yeah you know, no, I, 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 there's just a lot of, I lot think of it's huge. I, I, I just think yeah. it's almost like it's, it's almost past time to get on this, to get ahead of it, you know, and agree. It really, there's so much that can be done with this. Uh, and yeah, you know, I'm thinking about if you do data visualization, you know, if you create some software that does certain kind of data visualization, I don't, you know, I can't say mm-hmm. what it is. I just make up what you want. But if you, if it's that data isn't standardized, you know, like it, it just worked for that county, then it just right. worked for that county. Yep. And you've just spent like, what, a half a year building this thing? Yep. And how are you going to get, you know, how much is that software going to cost? You know, half a year wage. But if you have a national standard, then, you know, basically you can sell that to everybody. Mm-hmm. Got to have a primary key. 
yeah. yeah. And there's right. my nerd. <laughs> well, Dennis, we, we gosh, we're we're an hour and a half in. Um, oh. We've talked about a lot. Um, I hate to ask you to cut it short, but. I will ask you to come back another time. Like I said, we'll go down a couple other rabbit holes on some of this stuff, but is there anything this evening that we haven't touched on that you wanted to make sure you got out there? Um, no, I think, I think we did pretty good. We on did. That. Yeah. We did great. I yeah. just think that um, we should just be more aware of what, you know, what could happen. And mm-hmm. I just think that uh, if you put in the, uh, your notes or something where people could go to get some of the documentation I've done on this, if they're interested, that. Uh, that, you know, mm-hmm. that would be cool. We'll do that for and sure. I think I'll even let my phone number go in there too. Maybe uh, your email address. How's that? Yeah, that works. Okay. Yeah, that works. We'll, we'll, we'll stop I, I really it. Want to get we'll some, draw the line there. I really yeah. want to get some conversations with people. No, I'd absolutely. Really like to yeah. know who's doing that because we really need to get a core of people together who know what mm-hmm. they're talking about and actually come up with a standard because we may be able as a group to go to FGDC and say, you know, that standard that you thought was, you know, yep. not that useful. We have it. We're going to, we're going to get together and finally, you know, like finalize. Let's it. move I it mean, forward. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you put your phone number out there though, you'll have people like shoots probably prank calling you at exactly. you know, midnight. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. exactly. I, I get, I get it. Um, I get a lot of calls, and that's why I have screen <laughs> calls that are not my contact. Yeah, you know, if, yeah. yeah if, if if I know your number and you know, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put answer you in that the contact. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll answer it, but uh, it won't even ring if yeah, because I just can't keep yep. up with all the yeah. the scams that are out there. Yep, yep, that's for sure. Unfortunately, well, I, what you got anything, Connor? Got anything you want to add? I know this this conversation. Let's face it, a little bit outside your wheelhouse. Definitely outside my wheelhouse. I'm on like the Survey 101 course right now. Yep. And uh, this was like, you know, 400 level course, yeah, but definitely, yeah. definitely uh, interesting and like helps me learn. And I've got a ton of questions and stuff. And for sure, I think as I, as I go out and have one of your people help me out. Uh, have shout my out people to, talk to your people. Yeah, have my people talk. Shout out Maynard, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he probably doesn't even listen. Exactly. Uh, you but better. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, no, no, it's an interesting time. I guess my only thing is, is uh, you know, the mantra. Yeah, we probably hit you with this last time. I, don't, I can't remember if it was good audio or bad audio, but one of the questions we always ask our guests is, do you have a mantra that you live by? Uh, you caught me. <laughs> live fast. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say die young. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's about all I got. You got anything else? Yeah. Anything else you want to add? All good? Again, I, we thank you so much for making the drive in from uh, SoCal and joining yeah. us. It's great to have a uh, guest in studio. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot of fun for oh, sure. Yeah. It's this has been great. I, I would do it again. Well, I'd drive in again. We'll make that happen. Yeah. We'll make that happen. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see if I can do this right. Usually shoots would start the music right now, but I'm going to give it a shot and let's see if I can do this outro. Good. Boom. All right. Great job guys. Adding value, making friends. That's what it's all about. Thanks again for listening to our loyal uh, friends of the program, just like Cyanic Automation. Thanks to them for believing in us. Uh, and it's no joke. Be sure to mention you're a geoholic when you reach out to them and your uh, your exclusive listener promotions will kick in. Download the Geoholics app from LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Send us uh, an email at info at the geoholics.com if you have any content ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show. Send us an email with the uh, answer to Trent Keenan's trivia question as well to get your name in the hat for a Diamondback Land Surveying NASCAR diecast. Last but not least, pay it forward, add value, make friends, meatloaf, 
Paradise by the Dashboard Light, available everywhere. Until next time, everyone, be safe and healthy. Thank you to our 2022 friends of the program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, AGSGPS.com, Airworks, airworks.io, Bad Elf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, extremearialproductions.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com, Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz, Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com, Nettleman LC Prep, lcprep.com, North Star Surveying, northstarsurveying.com, ProStar Corporation, ProStarCorp.com, Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us, Topodot, new.certainty3d.com, and finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.